Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to Treating Depression, Three Vital Steps, Essential Principles That Will Help Any Depressed Client. I never treat depression, it's just too complicated, are words that I hear quite often from hypnotherapists and many other types of therapists as well. I've heard many versions of these gloomy statements from practitioners over the years. From hypnotherapists with lingering ideas of hypnosis as taboo in treating depression, to counsellors who feel perhaps ill-equipped to be strategic enough when uh, treating depressed clients. And often underlying their resonance, I suspect, lurks fear. You know, fear that we might be ineffective or actually make things worse for the depressed person. And many people just don't feel confident to treat this most common but harrowing of conditions. And this is a real problem. You know, many um, talk therapists still defer to the medical model of what depression is and how best to treat it. So they feel ill-equipped to um, help people through non-chemical means, if you like. You know, we bow down before the almighty psychiatric experts, the chemical wizards, uh, twitching behind the curtain, while a tidal wave of depression threatens to sweep away the well-being of the Western world. You know, even among uh, those of us who do choose to treat depression psychotherapeutically, there persists a fear of the condition, a superstition even. You know, but depression thrives on fear and hopelessness as well, and we practitioners should never fall into its trap. Feeling hopeless, uh, depressed even, about the treatment possibilities for the depressed helps nobody. <clears throat> Feeling hopeless or depressed even about treating depression helps nobody. We, you and I, unequipped with drug products to, uh, to offer our clients can feel really optimistic when treating depression, and we should feel optimistic. We, you and I, unequipped with drug products can still greatly help depressed people. You know, we don't have to rely on drugs because we have something potentially so much better to offer, and we can make all the difference in the world, and here's why. So I want to give you some paradoxically depressing, but at the same time hopeful facts about depression treatment. More people than ever before are consuming antidepressant drug products. Yet rates of depression continue to soar, especially in young people. Ten times as many people depressed now as they did 60 years ago. And more and more young people are attempting and committing suicide. So rates of depression are soaring, they're getting much higher. Medicating what may be more of an existential disease than a biological one may be backfiring, making people feel more hopeless, you know, because if my chemicals are wrong, then I am essentially wrong. Okay? This is especially true given that long-term consumption of these products can cause weight gain, type 2 diabetes, anxiety, sexual dysfunction and sleep disorders, along with a host of other side effects, some of them akin to depression itself. In short, current research suggests that antidepressants don't significantly outperform placebos, okay, which is a real problem when you think that uh, placebos don't come with side effects. Other findings tell us that depression is not genetic, 
people are not biologically predestined for depression. There's little evidence that depression is caused by neurobiology, although it has neurobiological effects. Sure, our lives can sometimes lack meaning, but it's not because we inherit um, Prozac deficiencies. Depressive attitudes such as pessimism, perfectionism, black and white, all or nothing thinking, extremist thinking, you know, uh, learned helplessness, are so often indeed learned from other people rather than passed on through genes. None of this is to say that no depression has biological roots, okay? simply that the idea that most depression is the fault of uh, biology gone bad isn't a credible one. Okay, and there's very little evidence for that. Some antidepressants do seem to help people, and who can blame harried doctors, you know, overwhelmed by a caseload of human misery, for prescribing antidepressants? You know, they want to do something for their depressed clients. You know, they're, they're, they went into being a doctor because they want to help people. But depression is rising in the young and a thousand percent more pre prevalent now than 50 years ago. And, and if this is biological, then what's causing our collective biology to shift so quickly and dramatically. I suspect it's more social than biological. Social factors like living conditions and depressive attitudes should never be ignored in favour of the bad brain chemical idea, which is just to simplify everything uh, right down. But here's the thing. If the chemical imbalance idea has been oversold, we have reason for hope. Most depression can be treated psychologically, incorporating a detailed look at someone's diet and exercise styles. Okay. Uh, people don't have to feel that they're destined to carry a lifelong medical label for what is essentially an emotional condition. We and our clients need never be fatalistic about what depression is or dismiss the idea that it can lift and stay lifted without our resorting to drugs. Otherwise we live in a kind of psychological caste system and people are damned forever in their psychologically diagnosed caste. So broadly speaking, what do we need to do when helping someone out of depression? And of course I'm speaking broadly here. Okay, so first we need to see clearly. To treat depression effectively, we need to understand that Firstly, depression is a state of physical and mental exhaustion. And it can certainly coincide with agitation and mania, but essentially it's an exhausted state. It comes about when too much negative, non-solution-focused rumination leads to an excess of rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep, which exhausts the person and leads to further rumination, continuing what we call the cycle of depression. The depressed person has become stuck and needs help to think, feel and act differently. They need to get out of that rut and get the rest they need to be as able to meet their fundamental needs as best possible. Rumination is a huge risk factor for depression and also happens to maintain it. So without rumination, depression falls apart pretty quickly. Hope, on the other hand, is vital for depression recovery because depression is all about negative expectations. So this explains why expecting an antidepressant drug to work seems to be the main factor which determines whether it does work for someone or not. Once we grasp these points about how depression works, we can take three essential steps towards actually treating it. So step number one, describe what is happening to the depressed person 
in a way that makes sense to them. As early as possible, we want the depressed person to begin to see their depression from the outside, as it were, as a pattern of experience rather than part and parcel of who they fundamentally are. Okay. So depression uh, presents us with its own propaganda. If we see the propaganda from the outside, we can see that it's not a reflection uh, of reality, rather an interpretation of it. We need to begin to remove it from their core identity so it becomes easier to detach from it. And of course we need to do this in the context of listening to the client to build a sense of mutual understanding and rapport. So by gently describing the cycle of depression and relating it to their experience, we can help our clients understand how depressions are formed and maintained in the brain and body. Now we have what we uh, call a depressing cycle. So a buildup of unresolved emotional worry overburdens the brain's REM response, causing excessive dreaming at night, leading in turn to physical and mental exhaustion during the day. The more exhausted the client, the more likely they are to ruminate further. And so the vicious cycle continues until you come along, of course, and help to break the cycle of depression. A depressed client feels that you really understand them and where they're coming from when they hear questions like, um, for example, do you always feel exhausted when you wake up in the morning? Or do you often feel exhausted when you wake up in the morning and find that's the worst time of day? And the more sleep you get, the more tired you feel. Okay, a lot of depressed people will relate to that. Think, God, this, this person really understands me. Or you might ask, you know, does everything tend to seem very black and white, all or nothing to you, with no shades of gray in between? Do you tend to see things in uh, absolutist terms, completely this or completely that? And again, Depressed people will often get a sense that, yes, they do, and you understand them. Do you tend to dwell on the past or current or future events, spending a lot of time in your head? And again, you know, often the answer will be yes to that. And again, they can feel understood. Do you feel physically exhausted one minute and agitated the next, as if you can't relax or switch off? Okay, so such questions highlight how depression is an easily understood pattern of experience, and it also demonstrates your knowledge and understanding of it okay, and helps them feel understood. You can reassure your client that one of the first signals of recovery from depression they'll experience as they start to come out of depression will be an increase in energy and a feeling of clarity and perspective, especially on waking in the morning feeling more energized. So remember that rumination drives exhaustion and depression, okay, excess, excessive rumination. But it's also been found that once the sunny glint of hope enters the mind, rumination becomes much less of a depressive force. So it was found that even in people who ruminated excessively, if they ruminated with hope, then they were less likely to get depressed than those people who ruminated without hope. Be the hope for your client until they can generate their own. But before this can work, you may have to do something even more fundamental. So step number two, help your depressed client to relax. And this is essential. A depressed brain is a stressed brain. You know, we know that depressed people have higher levels of cortisol, the stress hormone in their bloodstreams. Okay. Even if they're just sitting in the same chair all day, they're stressed. Master as many relaxation techniques as you can in order to be able to help clients relax effectively. Be relaxing by way of your reassuring demeanor as well. Okay. People can feel relaxed with you 
because you simply give off that kind of vibe. The most wonderful cognitive reframing techniques in the world will have little effect on a brain worn out by stress, anxiety and exhaustion, which effectively bring down the shutters to new perceptions and ways of seeing things. In such a state of flo you know, flooded with stress hormone, the brain struggles to take on new perspectives. You know, it's like um, uh, trying to see your reflection in a lake when a storm is raging. For clarity and perspective, you need calm so that you can start to see the reflection without all the distortions. When clients begin to leave depression behind, they'll not just feel better and think more flexibly, they'll also behave differently. And it's a two-way street, you know, while depressive rumination leaves a sense of the unfinished business of unresolved problems, getting stuck into actions that do have resolutions is a powerful antidepressant. Okay, actual problem solving can be hugely antidepressant for people, practical problem solving. So if possible, do step number three, which is to set tasks, behavioral tasks, that are intrinsically satisfying. So satisfying therapeutic tasks have a beginning, a middle and an end. Okay, even just writing a letter, <laughs> sounds old fashioned, or an email, uh, you know, putting it in an envelope and putting a stamp on it and posting it can remobilize the dopamine reward pathways in the brain and reactivate the left prefrontal lobe, the part that becomes much less active during depression because it's a solution-focused behavior. So it's forcing the parts of the brain uh, to operate that hadn't been working in so long. Okay, so the example of posting a letter was you know, extremely old-fashioned, uh, but we, you know, even sending an email and actually pressing send, or anything that requires a few steps and a resolution, however modest in the grand scheme of things. Your client may be thinking in all or nothing terms, okay? You know, sort of extremist completely this completely that ways you know depression relies upon simplistic generalizations and extremist thinking and they may object to carrying out the task feeling that it won't lift the depression you know what's the point of doing that is a very all or nothing way of looking at something a very simplified way of looking at something and of course they'll be right you know uh, but it can begin to work the muscles of the mind that reset depression okay or resist depression and talking of muscles Exercise has been shown to be as effective at lifting depression as antidepressants and also better at preventing relapse and of course the need without the side effects or the side effects of, it, of exercise are tend to be unremittingly uh, positive. Results are especially good if the movement happens outside and forest environments seem to have a particularly strong antidepressant effect on the mind. Okay and of course depressed clients may need help to get to the point where they can accept intrinsically satisfying tasks. Okay, so we might need to build up to the point where we can set a task for them and be confident they'll carry it out. And it may take a while for those activities to become intrinsically satisfying as well. It's a bit like bump starting a car. Uh, eventually the car will run under its own steam to mix my mechanical metaphors. But ultimately we, need, we want our clients uh, to be engaging in activities uh, that meet their emotional primal needs, okay, in ways that are intrinsically satisfying. Your depressed clients need to get back into the habit of actually taking steps to change unwanted situations rather than passively sitting and worrying about their problems without seeking to resolve them, okay. So tasks can significantly help to get your client uh, used to acting proactively and positively again. 
And in cases where practical changes um, aren't feasible, you know, you can still help your client to feel differently about what can't be changed. And it, it, this is a way of solving the problem, okay, because it feels less of a problem to them. Research shows that you're more likely to actually do something when you've imagined yourself doing it from the point of view of an observer. Okay, so research has found that to be the case. Of course, effective psychotherapeutic depression treatment may need to include many more interventions than I've spoken about here. But these three actions, reassuring by normalizing, relaxing physiologically your client and setting rewarding tasks, are essential steps to get your clients well on the road to recovery and ruminating much less. Remember, stopping the client ruminating okay, is a key feature to overcoming depression. And it's no small thing to help someone escape and stay free of depression. All of a sudden, I'm reminded of the ancient uh, Talmudic saying, whoever saves a life saves an entire world. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog. Mm -hmm.